<laughs> What's happening, weirdos? It's uh, it's it's old Pete <laughs> and Val. The reason I'm young Val and, and young Val. The reason I'm saying it, but Pete is here is because Val is here. Val's not always here. Yeah. I mean, she's with us in our hearts. Thank you. <laughs> Sweet Lady Val. Uh, this is Judd Apatow. He and I sat down with my special guest co-host, Greg Fitzsimmons, a hilarious comedian and writer on Crashing. And he has a wonderful podcast of his own called Fitz Dog Radio. I believe that's what it's called. Uh, but he's uh, incredible. We sat down to talk about um, The Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling, which is on HBO currently. Um, we talk a lot about our, our dear friend Gary, um, some wonderful stories, some insight. You don't have to have seen it yet to enjoy this, but hopefully it'll make you want to check it out because it is incredible. It's a two-part docu-series. Mm-hmm. Two parts does a docu-series make? Sure. Sure. It's a uh, series of yeah, it's parts. Two, it's two things. <laughs> One follows the other. It's a series. Uh, check it out. It's, it's out now. The Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling. We're also going to re, re-air um, my interview with Gary on Friday as a special bonus episode. Oh. So uh, I, I know you could listen to it whenever, but as I always say when we re-release episodes, it's nice to know we're all doing it on the same day. Yeah. And as I always say, it's like when... A movie is on TV. You watch it because you know millions of people are watching it. So let's, uh, if you want to, re-enjoy that interview. Obviously one of the most uh, touching and um, important interviews that I've ever done. Um, so that'll be out Friday. Today is a new conversation with Judd and Fitz. And also, um, Val is here. Because <laughs> we're here to fess up. <laughs> we're here to fess up. We got some news. We got s- <laughs> <laughs> Valerie is pregnant. <laughs> it's okay, Brody. Hi, Brody. Good boy. He's very concerned about it. We've known for a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard a tiny little rapid heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Rapid like a like a little little jackrabbit. We saw frog legs. We saw little frog legs, little baby head. We got a, you know, the ultrasound, and then they go from the top, and you saw these the long, very long, long, legs. long. It's a girl. It's, it's a, a girl. girl. Yeah, long lady legs, and it looked like frog legs, and it's hanging up on our fridge, and th- this is how we're telling people. There's no Facebook post or Instagram. Here it is, mm-hmm. fresh off the presses yep. for the weirdos. <laughs> Um, obviously, we, we always appreciate your love and support, and we were excited to tell you guys, and we're very, very excited. Yes, very excited. We wasted no time at all. <laughs> we went right for it. Got married, got knocked up. Boom. Speaking of knocked up. <laughs> hey. I do, you know what I told somebody today, which is what we say? Uh, you can't be ready for a baby. That's what people who've had babies and children always Love say. Love to tell you. Love to tell you. <laughs> but I will say that uh, we're what you said, we're ready to not be ready. Yeah. We're ready for our whole lives to change. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll talk about it a whole bunch yep. on the podcast. And it'll be fun to share that with you. And uh, you're just starting your second trimester of three, I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Already with the dad jokes. Oh, my God. Oh, that's how I know I'm 40. Mm -hmm. I love grape nuts. Not actually grape nuts. I get the Ezekiel kind. But still, like a hard, unpleasant cereal. Yep. Fiber. I'm all about fiber. Mm -hmm. Socks that don't fall down. 
spicy mustard. Yes, um, we're so into mustard. Ooh, we have a landline that uh, has call block, and if a telemarketer calls it, I run with joy, like Calvin's dad and Calvin and Hobbes. I can't wait to hit call block. I love that you skimmed past we have a landline. Like, that's not one of the things. Dude, pe- I know. People in the room teased me, and then I said, Paul Tompkins told me on this podcast, he goes, oh, no, on the You Made It movies, he goes, 911 comes like 30% faster if it's a landline. That is such a dad reason to And he's a dad. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's a dad. Either that or we're both just acting like dads ahead of our time. Uh, what? I was just going to say also, because I just realized on the Shane podcast, I talk about how I did too many drugs recently. That was before I was pregnant, just for the record. Yeah, sure. That's nice of you. Yeah. That episode came out like way late. Uh, not way later, but a yeah, little yeah, bit yeah. later. And We're not. Nobody's so. doing drugs with a baby. Yes. Let's just, <laughs> we're not Courtney loving it over here. We are loving it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Get it. Um, so super excited. Uh, Val and I will both be at Largo April 12th for my final Largo show just for the summer. We'll be back in August and doing that monthly again. But if you'd like to come, I'm sure it's going to be a great lineup. April 12th uh, is the show. And also the Pete's Picks. You can't take uh, Charlotte's Web because you're pregnant. No, I can't. Which is too bad. Probably, like, if there had been research on it, it would be fine, but... That's true. That's we true. Risk we don't risk. See, I'm not even doing Charlotte's Web. <laughs> I know. You're being really, really good. Charlotte's Web, for those of you that don't know, these are the Pete's Picks. These are the products that I uh, love and use daily. Personally endorse. Made a big difference in my life. Charlotte's Web. I just got a message from my buddy, Ken Bishop. Shout out to Ken, uh, who we went to church together and we stayed in touch. <laughs> Over Facebook. Uh, And he loves this podcast. Ken said he was going to try it. People are always asking, not Ken, but they were asking if I really do take it. I really do take it. Take it every day. Just a couple drops of the Everyday Advanced uh, Mint Chocolate. It is derived from the hemp plant, but they take out the THC part, the intoxicating sort of stoned uh, element. And what's left is what's known as CBD, which gives me just a healthy, happy glow, a little bit uh, less stress, a little bit less anxiety, a little bit quicker to laugh, joke. It, it just It's a wonderful little, uh, what do you call it, a secret weapon? It's like when I'm feeling just pinched, yeah. it helps me get over myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Things are a little bit uh, mounting up and, and life seems super, super serious. You can still work, you can still read, you can still focus. It's not an intoxicant in that way. It just helps me relax and kind of ease into my life. Um, it was made for a child named Charlotte who was having seizures. You can see more about that in the documentary called Weed. Um, but it's legal in all 50 states, uh, and, I, and I swear by it. And I reached out to them, uh, the Stanley Brothers, to see if we could get a promo code. They said, yes, here it is, cwhemp.com slash weird, promo code, keep it crispy will get you 10% off. Like I said, I like Everyday Plus or Everyday Advanced. They cost a little bit more, but you can uh, you can feel them. You can do a lot less and have a uh, have, feel the effect. The other one, as I'm being a little bit scattered, I've actually taken quite a bit of Alpha Brain today. <clears throat> Alpha Brain is made by our friends at Onnit. It's a nootropic. It's earth-grown ingredients. You know, it's plant-derived stuff that they've put into this super pill that helps you think helps you focus, helps you remember, helps anything that, you, that I do that involves my brain, writing a script, doing stand-up, meditating, 
I'll take it before a date with Val, just to be a little bit sharp, so you don't have as much of that mental fatigue. I always think of what Emily Gordon and Camille say. If this was a first date, would we go on a second? So, you know, it doesn't have, it's not a stimulant. It's not like drinking coffee. It's just something that makes thinking easier. It gives your brain the nutrients it needs to function. And I swear by it. So many people have told me that Alpha Brain has helped their lives. I just got a huge box of swag for the writer's room. So there's Alpha Brain all over the writer's room, including some other um, on it products, which you can buy with this promo code as well. They make MCT oil. They have like a sprayable D vitamin made from plants, all these wonderful things. If you want to try it, here's what you do. Go to onnit, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. It's that easy. It's that easy. <laughs> What's stopping you? What's stopping you? Uh, so those are the Pete's Picks. Watch the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling. It's such a loving, beautiful tribute, as we discuss here. Uh, and hope to see you on April 12th at Largo. And, um, and we're so happy to share the news. For those of you that skipped the intro... You'll maybe, never know. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe go go hover over that 15-second backwards. The lesser used 15-second backwards <laughs> one. When you want to hear something, maybe you missed. Because there was some goodness in this intro. Uh, but in the meantime, enjoy my f- uh, friend, wonderful conversation with, with my friend, Judd Apatow, featuring Greg, Greg Fitzsimmons and Sia. <laughs> Get, get into it. it. Get into it. NBC. Ken. Church. <laughs> Did you see it, Mike Allen? Anybody? No. Jack White? Mm-hmm. I've seen it. Oh. Who else is it? Robert Plant? No. Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page. Robert Plant's the singer. You don't know the difference between the singer and the guitar player from no. Led Zeppelin? I, I, I'm glad I don't. Wow. I don't know. When you guys are like, you know, you know Neil Pert or whatever, I'm like, I don't know the name of the people in my favorite bands. Oh, jeez. Not Rush. That's I just, Rush. I just yeah. realized that you're the host. Yeah. This is We're using Greg, Greg. Simmons' equipment. Yeah. I'm Judd Apatow. Yeah. Pete Holmes... <laughs> Is the host. Is the host. And I feel like the kid who brings the football to the field, so you have to let him play. <laughs> well, right. we're at the office, and we were we were just at the Shandling, the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling premiere yes. last night. Were you there? No, but I've seen it. We've seen it, mm-hmm. and we want to get the word out. Yep. And we're here at the office, writing Crashing. Writing Crashing. Let's plug everything. We're Let's writing plug Crashing. Everything. A new season of Love is out now. A new season of Love on Netflix. Jet Apatow, The Return on Netflix, and the Jet Apatow Masterclass. Ooh, as, uh, how's that sound? That I don't know if they ever tell you how it's selling, <laughs> but it's just five hours of me talking. So if you want that, <laughs> I'm giving away all the secrets and then have retiring. You, have you seen any? Uh, give give one away for free. What's one that you remember? A little taste. Uh, more heart, less jizz. More heart, less jizz. That's always good advice. That's, yeah, all these gems. I guess. Oh, all these, or what do you call it? A bone monk? Is that? What's the expression? Bon mon? Yes. I don't know what that means. It's like a snappy phrase. French yeah. for good word. <laughs> There's a, but you have all those tips, your directing tips, because we're trying to absorb them, like get clean singles of people, so you have something to cut to. That's right. For all you filmmakers out there, get. everyone wants to do everything in a big one-er, Scorsese, Goodfellas shot. Yep. I would have done that in 37 shots. <laughs> 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 but uh, the movie is amazing. 
Thank you. Gary Shandling's amazing. It was like hanging out with Gary. We watched part two, which was about two hours long, and it was like hanging out with him. Sandler was there. I'm yes. walking out with a glassy-eyed, teary-looking Adam Sandler because it was so moving. It's a beautiful thing. You should really be proud. Yes. But I also I, know it wasn't easy for you. Well, it was two years. I, I, I put together Gary's memorial service. Uh, as I look back in just a, a fog of grief, mm. I took on... Uh, and overproduced his memorial service, uh, which we did at the Wilshire Ebell Theater, and there was a thousand people there. And I, I thought made... I was like, "Look, he sold it out one last time." <laughs> <laughs> it was great. And I mean, just to just to like figure out who to invite to a memorial service, yeah, is uh, more work than you would assume. Like, yeah, who is everyone in Gary's life? Did you to... get hit up for invites? That because that's awkward. I got tickets. I got tickets. I got tickets. Yeah. You got a memorial. You want the memorial? Who's grieving? Who's grieving? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get hit up by by too many people, but you're also scared you're not going to fill it. <laughs> there is that yeah. energy of that's how we felt at the wedding. We're like, yes. what if no one comes? You want to sell out your yes. big events. You like if your, your funeral doesn't sell, it doesn't feel good. That's <laughs> yeah. why Wait, I know at my sense. wedding, we just did it alone and we talk about, you know, redoing our vows or doing a, just a party. But I, down deep, I, I have a fear. We were talking about your 50th that. birthday party, remember? Yes. When we were doing the poster for Crashing Season 2, which is available now on HBO Go, HBO Now, regular HBO. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we were shooting in that bar and you were like, maybe I could do my birthday party here. And then you were like, I don't know if I could fill it. <laughs> <laughs> I did it at Largo. I was afraid I wouldn't fill yeah. it. Oh, I forgot you did do it at I Largo. I did do a little 50th at Largo, which was great. It was great. So, so – the memorial also had little video documentaries, so I quickly edited together some stuff. And I was so excited to have a, a way to get all of the material. Yeah. Because, like an excuse, you mean? Yeah, because no one says no in the aftermath right. of something passing away, uh, of someone passing away. If you say, you know, to Merv Griffin Productions, can yeah. I get copies of all of his sets? Right. So there's this very small window where people want to help you yeah totally and i got tons of 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 the material from, i was very from interested Scrier. that you had that there was a monk who spoke yes very beautifully he gets the last word of the of the second part which is mm-hmm. so great um were there a lot of monks shuffling about shuffling about where at the memorial excuse me because there was one that spoke i was wondering if there was a good monk contingent that came out because i know gary was a big uh, zen buddhist gary Zella. Uh, was uh, helpful in in getting funds and also zoning for a, a, a monastery. Not a monastery. A, a temple. Is, right? is, is it a temple or it's a Buddhist temple? Like but a, a meditation in it, center. A, any more than four monks, it becomes a monastery. It doesn't matter if it's a holiday. <laughs> it's, it's now a monastery. It's a holiday place for monks. <laughs> and, and so it's in uh, San Diego. I guess what it was, it might have been, I don't know if it was a prison or something like that. Yeah. And they wanted to turn it into a, a monastery. So Gary is scheduled to go with them to try to convince the, the people who approve zoning for the city to uh, – it's all how they define it. So basically there's a way to do it where it will take like two years to get the approvals. But if they define it in a certain way, they can get it that day. Mm. And usually they will make you wait the two years and make it very – like a lot of bureaucracy. Right. Or you could be cool. 
Right. So Gary's coming to speak with the monks to try to say, hey, this is a good thing for the community and nice, peaceful Buddhist people there. Uh, I said people twice in one sentence. And <laughs> we'll edit it. So the day Gary is supposed to do that, 9 11. Oh, wow. So Gary and everyone, they have to just go, what do we do? <laughs> do we do it? Are they open? They decide to do it. And on 9 11, they all caravan to San Diego. Part of me keeps thinking it might be San Francisco, but I think it's San Diego. <laughs> One of the sands. Um, and Horatio? they go in front of the, <laughs> the the person who makes the decision. And Gary you know, talks about what's happening in the world, why we need a place like this. More than and, ever, probably. And he puts it in the context of that day. Yeah. And they give it to him. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and so the monks that were at the memorial were from... From I was that monster. fascinated with watching them. The the one there's a couple monk moments in the film. Yes. And you always get the sense that what they're doing, that's all they're doing. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like he's speaking, but he doesn't have the same posture as a comedian. Comedians, you can see it, we go into kind of like battle mode. <laughs> Our shoulders go up a little bit, we're kinda of like crouched or whatever. Mm. The monk is just like, I was over there, now I'm here. I'm, I'm speaking here. to a thousand people or how many mm, thousands yes. of people. And he was just totally chill. He also it, looks like he's about nineteen years old and you realize they yes, don't age. They don't age. Yeah, yeah. They're not stressed. Well, there's that island, there's a Greek island filled with Catholic monks, or I guess they'd be priests, but they're living monks. So I guess it would be. It's a monk by monk least. <laughs> oh, it's been a bad day for puns. <laughs> I am enjoying my own puns today. It's a monk by monk least. We can edit that out. What I'm saying, we can edit it so it loops for 15 minutes. <laughs> you have to listen to it to give it enough time to laugh at. But no one on the island gets cancer. No one gets Alzheimer's. Mm. They just like pick their own fruit and they chant and they, you know, it sounds. When you say pick your own fruit, you're talking about <laughs> molestation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't we leave these Greek monks alone? No. Well, they're not monks. They're Catholic monks. Yes. It's different. There's did your Gary, problem right there. Did Gary's spirituality influence you at all? Because I know that you and I have similar, um, obviously, Judd. Uh, do you have a – we'll get to that. I'm going to write down Gary's story for Greg. But did he share that with you? Is that part of your relationship or did that come in making the documentary? Well, very early on – I noticed he had all these Buddhist books at his house, and I don't remember if he gave one to me or I just asked him about it, but he gave me a book called Transforming Problems into Happiness. And the premise of the book, which I still remember, was that every time something goes wrong, it's an opportunity for you to fix something about yourself. So when bad things happen, you should be happy. Hmm. Oh, now I can learn patience. Oh, now I can learn to heal that wound. Who, who was just saying mm. in the room that Will Smith... What, who was it? Was it you? Will Smith? No. Somebody told the story that Will Smith is like always calm and cool. I was telling you story. You were. That's a friend of mine was on a press tour with him. And even when things would break down and schedules got screwed up and the train couldn't leave, yeah. he, he, he was stayed in a fantastic mood. I think that's so interesting. Yes. Uh, is he out as a Scientologist? I don't think he is a Scientologist. Oh, he's not a Scientologist. Cause maybe, I, maybe he's flirted? Maybe flirted. Well, the reason I brought it up wasn't to put down the Scientologist as much as to say that Reza Aslan was on this podcast and he's a big, like, Scientology is very similar to Buddhism. Mm. Well, I think it, it, it probably... A lot of their tenants are like... 
in that like it's all nothing sort of like relax don't don't sweat that stuff i actually don't think you're right is that true <laughs> are you picturing david miskovich being like he doesn't seem that way i don't I just, know i just think there's more you know there's probably more differences than yeah let's hope there's more differences than that yeah. What if we found out Buddhism was Scientology? <laughs> we've all we've all misinterpreted everything. So he gave you the book. He, so he gave me the book, and and that started my interest in reading books about Buddhism and and learning about it. And I you know would do it just in my, in my own quiet way, just reading. And I, I still have uh, a, a great interest in it. Uh, and. But I but we had a couple of funny things. One, and I, I don't know if I've told you this story before, mm. but I'll tell it now because we're telling Gary stories. Yeah, Gary has a friend who who is a, a monk, uh, who is a great person, who has seven fingers, and he burned the three off to deliberately, t- deliberately uh, to, I guess, walk the walk. To like leave your body. It's like the guy who lit himself on fire. You have told me the story. Well, I love this story. Well, I think the people who light themselves on fire, it's a protest. Yeah, but this is a similar discipline, meaning the guy who lit himself on fire didn't freak out because he's identifying with his soul. So this guy's going, I'm so enlightened or trying to be enlightened that I am not my body, that I'm going to burn off my fingers and not – I'm going to dissociate from the pain to the point where I can burn my fingers off. I – Assume that you may be correct. I don't remember the exact motivation yeah. f- for it. But yes, it had to do with being a teacher. It had to do with really believing uh, all, all he teaches, non-attachment. Uh, and literally unattached. Literally unattached. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start detaching things to show how unattached <laughs> Literally I snipped off. Yeah, yeah. So I had met this – this uh, man a few times and he's in the documentary. He's the one that's speaking to Gary about uh, um, the only enemy is ignorance. Right. He says that. Which Ramdas, uh, no, Alan Watts says ignorance. He's like, you shouldn't say ignorance. You should say ignorance. It's ignoring truth. It's ignoring the signs from the universe, which I think he also, if you don't mind, he also says it's not Buddhists don't believe in nothing. They believe in no thing. Meaning there's no separation between me and you or the air and the universe. There's no things. It's no it's a, it's oh, a different see. way of looking at it. So it's not the sad blankness, it's the oneness of no thingness. Anyway. See, I, I always I have trouble with these concepts. <laughs> I wanna believe I am Greg, but it's hard. But you also I don't feel the separation. I'm feeling the separation. I remember yeah, I, I don't laugh. even feel like Greg right now. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh all the time. This is something you said to me, you were like I don't want to be a wave in the ocean. Or, no, I don't want to be the whole ocean or just like one thing. Oh, I don't, I don't want to be, be a drop in the ocean. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but that's a real thing. That's like a real – it's the dark night of the soul is go, is trying to let go of who we are. I can't do it I either. still can't decide if I want to. I read about it all the time, yeah. the idea of letting go and feeling like we're all one and egolessness. And then I think, I like me. Well, we're in a business <laughs> yeah. that, that preaches the exact opposite of that. Well, we've You're turned a brand your ego into yourself. what you sell. Right. Which is why, what makes Gary so interesting. Why did I fight for a film by credit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Watts also says your ego is like music. It disappears the moment you stop playing it. Like music only exists when it's being played. Yes. And your ego only exists when you're 
I, right now I'm speaking through my ego. I'm trying to go like, look, Jed and Greg, I know this thing. I'm, I'm stuck in it just like everybody. It's obviously. It's, so You need to burn a finger off. I, well, <laughs> I don't want to show you what I burned <laughs> off, but it was very, very dramatic. It didn't go well. I'm so, circumcised. Is that? That's similar. It's yeah. similar. It's similar. <laughs> Only if you burned it off, it's similar. <laughs> so I'm shooting Knocked Up. Gary asked to visit the set. He asked if he can bring this gentleman. So the moment they show up, the scene I'm shooting is uh, a baby coming out of a vagina. So it's a it's an extra right. wearing a contraption that looks like a vagina that has a prosthetic baby head. Do you still have it? Popping in and out, of course. <laughs> and so it's literally it's me behind the camera, you know, me yelling head out and then like some special effects guy is like moving the head out of the <laughs> plastic vagina all right head back in let's do it again a little slower head out and, and the, the 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 buddhist monk is at the monitor and he's walking the walk he he has no expression he doesn't seem titillated wow. he doesn't seem disgusted wow. it was it was kind of beautiful his la- lack of uh judgment yeah and he was enjoying himself Right, uh, but not in a creepy way. And then I go on vacation, and I'm going to Thailand, and I arrange to see him. He's building a meditation center in Thailand. So we we get there. First of all, he comes to our room at the hotel. We're at the Four Seasons in a large room. It's a big vacation. Yeah, and immediately I just feel like an asshole. Yeah, with my love of materialism and tall Your ten fingers <laughs> me and my ten fingers <laughs> acting all cocky did you order three fingers of tea <laughs> <laughs> so he says uh you know um he says hello to everybody and i and my kids are there and they're they're very little at the time they're like you know four nine uh maybe even younger and i said can you explain what buddhism is to to them and he he starts explaining it and it's, it's very nice <laughs> and then Leslie, my wife, he says, uh, what happened to your fingers? Oh, my God. Oh, my <laughs> like, God. She just goes right at it. Just goes, wow. Where'd your fingers go? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm joking, of course. I'm sure she said it in a more subtle way. But she did say, what happened to your fingers? Mm. And then he says, well, you know, as a teacher, um, it's important for me to uh, – you know, be able to blank, blank, blank. Yes. Insert your Buddhist explanation for burning your fingers off here. Right. Uh, uh, White helps him be a good teacher. And he said, so what I, w- I did is I uh, took one finger and I wrapped it in cloth, dipped it in kerosene, lit it on fire, and then I meditated as it burned. And then uh, when it was all burnt, I you know went to the doctor and he snipped off the bone and and uh, and then a few years later Whoa. I did it with two fingers. For a second he just looked like the kid in Coco when he was running out of time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good riff. It's a good riff. You'll see. <laughs> and so my- Now when people are talking, are you listening or are you just doing the math of the punchline that you're going to say? No, I really am listening, <laughs> but I'm also very good. No, I'm you're just fast. kidding. No, I th- you're you're as fast as they get. <laughs> I'm just Well, teasing. you know the funny story about Gary Shandling is Pete was interviewing Gary Shandling and yes. Gary Shandling started talking about what he had learned in life and he basically you know, says, 
you know, something happened to me. It really changed my way. No, he, he, <laughs> How do you yeah, say it? Yeah, changed my whole life. He's, he said, I've had a few spiritual experiences that really changed the way I look at the universe. And I dropped the ball. And Jed was absolutely right. We're listening to it after he's dead for, for, to get a snippet for the documentary. And I'm just – I turn red because I realize – because Jed's right. He goes, uh, you didn't say like what? <laughs> and then, and then I swear to God, we were kind what of. Did you, you say you were fucking with me? Well, we just kind of kept rolling. It was in the second hour. We were but running. No, but out you of time. leap to another subject. We do. I changed the channel. Like, what's Howie Mandel like? Yeah. <laughs> like you, just, you just leaped away. From- and your friend, your obviously he was my friend, even though we had only met a few times. Your dear friend has just passed, and that's a unique type of humiliation when you go, "We'll never know." <laughs> Yeah, that's what I said. Like it's gone, and I'm just sitting there eating crow. Yeah, so I'm good, but I'm not that. I I said you are the worst interviewer in the world. Like you didn't notice this. The secret to life was coming. I know. Well, Gary has that great story that I also regretted not getting out of him because I heard about it afterwards. Which is he almost died. When he was in a car accident. Yes, that's in the documentary. He was hit by a car. He he got he. It was raining, and he hit the brake. And but he skidded into the car in front of him, and so he got out to look at the damage. And he was standing between the two cars, and a car hit his car from behind and crushed him between the two cars. Yikes! And so he said that when he went to the hospital, he had to have his uh, uh, what, what did he have to have removed? His gallbladder. So that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Uh, that's in there. Uh, that's in. <laughs> I think you can lose that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he had the operation, and he claimed that he like rose above his head and heard everything everyone said, and and then you know, some version of walking to the light, and someone's voice said, "Do you want to continue living Gary Shandling's life?" And, and he got he to said, the continue yes. screen. Like in a video game. Wow. I was going 10, yes. 9. Do you want to keep doing, playing? Yeah. You yeah. want to insert a quarter? Uh, luckily, I had a quarter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a few tokens left. So he put it in. And, and he I, said yes. And then he, he said that uh, uh, um, that's what motivated him to be a stand-up comedian because he was doing it a little, mm. but writing for Welcome Back, Cotter and shows like that. And it gave him the courage to go for his dream. Wow. And when he told me, I said, but how do you know that's not just a dream that you're having while you're under anesthesia right and he said i know what a dream is yeah and then and he said it changed his life and he always knew that there was something else uh happening in the universe right and it wasn't a guy with a big fear of death for a very neurotic person yeah he doesn't have that woody allen thing it was never like, a death thing yeah was, so that's so interesting when you think about comedy because so much of it is driven by our existential terror Mm. You've got this neurotic guy who's funny about sex and relationships yeah. and, and ego, and these are the subjects that he likes to talk about. But it's never death. Well, that's the goal of Buddhism, isn't it? To accept death? Yeah. Right. Well, well I no. love what he writes. He goes he, – he, he has some beef with his manager. We don't have to get in it, into it. It's in the movie, I mean. But he says, like, he's an illusion. I'm an illusion. It's the idea that it's all just one thing dreaming itself. So, like, it's the idea of where could I go? Like, I die, where could I go? Like, I, I was floating above my body. The universe wasn't created. It can't be destroyed. It's just this thing that's around. So he can play in it as he will, like you would a dream. Yes. So I, I, that, that my, I'm, I hope that worked. Because my fantasy is when he died in his house, mm-hmm. that he got the same continuous screen. And he was like, you know, I think I'm good. Like, that's, that's yes. something, a story I've told myself. 
yeah. as well. Absolutely. What, do you what, feel what? like, what, what do you think his future would have been if he had lived? What do you think would be the next chapter of his life? Iron it, Man spinoff it, about that character. Yeah. <laughs> senator. It's called Senator. Yeah. The evil Senator. Hail Hydra. <laughs> uh, it's a good question because he was writing jokes and I think he was about to maybe consult on a TV show. I think there was some deals sure. happening, but it, it's hard to know. He, he didn't he didn't have a lot of fire. Well, that's that's that why I asked because it seems like after the Brad Gray thing, he was really deflated, and I wonder what, like what was going to drive him. Well, it was always hard to know how much of that feeling he had, where he was a little bit foggy and you know lower energy, was from health problems or from being dispirited from being in a big lawsuit with his manager and. Being I, in a movie uh, that he wrote that didn't come out well, and he had a lot of fights with the director, uh, so it was hard to know. Because I, I, I would go to Largo, and he would jump on stage with me, and we would chat. And and he didn't want to do stand up, but he liked just talking to me. And I don't know how many times we did it—three times or five times. And a few times he was super funny, and one or two times he he just was a little lost. Yeah. Well, you say it in the movie. He's he becomes. I actually think this is lovely. He becomes more interested in being present, like with Ricky Gervais. He's like, is it possible to not think for a couple minutes? Can we just be? And that was some a recurring theme in the movie. It's just be. Don't try very Yoda. Just be. So then he'd go up on stage with you, and this guy kind of up leveled us, meaning. The game changed. It used to be win love by proving, he says in the movie, I always have to think of things to say or I'm afraid people won't love me, which is something I know we can all relate to. Then later, and I was at some of those Largos, he'd go on stage and you could just see, oh, this guy's playing a different game. Yeah. He wants. To, it's almost like chicken. He wants to go up and go, I know what you're expecting, but I don't want to dance. I just want to be here with you, which is a very interesting Evolution. Yeah, it's like he was trying to figure out a new way to do stand-up, but he hadn't cracked it yet. Yes. But was enjoying the mess of not giving the audience what they wanted. Yeah. But yet, you know, every once in a while doing a great joke. Right. And then just talking to the crowd. Like, it drifted. Right. But he was fascinated by the silences. He was fascinated by how uncomfortable it would get. He, he kept saying, I don't even care if you laugh. Maybe you'll laugh like when you get home and it'll suddenly strike you. Right. And, and at the time I thought, I can't tell if this is just nonsense. Like he's just making no sense. Or he's like at the beginning of a thought that he hasn't right. completed yet. Because he would go on stage and then have an amazing joke every once right. in a while. I wonder if his comedy got him into the, the idea of the transcendent. Because I bet both of you can relate. When you're in that pocket... And people are laughing. I know, Jed, it's an old thing you've talked about many times, but coming back into stand-up, I think one of the things that makes it so unique and precious is you do feel almost like you've been meditating because you're so locked oh, into God, the experience, yeah. right? Yeah, it's an addiction. And it's funny because sometimes I'll have, a, I'll have a rough day and uh, I, I smoke pot once in a while and I'll, I'll have one of those days where I'll like put a, a vape pen in my pocket on the way to a gig and go, as soon as I get off that stage, I'm hitting this fucking pipe. <laughs> and then... Every time without fail, never hit it. I don't hit it when I Can get Can I stage. tell you something even weirder? 
I remember one of the it's I used to do warm up for the Daily Show and I was blackout horny. But like a fighter, I didn't like to masturbate before why did I say masturbate? Jerk off before <laughs> Why'd you say set. jerk off? <laughs> why is that do better? It? Crank it. You know, more comedy talk. <laughs> I didn't want to crank it before I did my set. And then I was like, just wait, it'll be my vape pen. It'll be my reward. And I got off stage and I I, I felt like I was completely satiated. Even the sexual drive it was still there, but I didn't feel any need to like quench or, or, or I had already been fed. Isn't that weird? Yeah, and it's scary. It's the only thing that scares me about uh, aging in this business is there will be a day where I can't get stage time. There was a guy that came in the other night at the West Side Comedy Theater, and he was an old Seinfeld writer, and he wanted stage time. Mm. And uh, he, he had been asking for it for months, and it was like a thing, and... And I just thought, God, is that what it's going to come down to? Like, I'll have a guy, I'll be a guy with like real credits. I wrote on Crashing. And yeah, I available now on HBO. Can't get on the, can't get on a show. And where will I get that release? There's no other way to get it. Yeah, but you know what? Buy a bar. Set yeah. up a right. Bar I was going to say bucks. you produce a show, right? And then you know you can sell it. I, I remember talking to Birbiglia about something similar where he was just like, there's always going to be somewhere that'll let me go up. Mm-hmm. It might be Iowa, and maybe I have to like chase it like that. But you know what else? You love Natterman. We love Natterman. I remember the recession was hitting. This was a long time ago. There was one of the recessions. And he was like, we provide a service. We do a thing. It'll always be in need. Like he, he just like had this calmness yes. that I yeah. liked. He was like, right. people need laughter. I provide laughter. That's the thing. It's fine. Mm-hmm. We'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I don't... I don't know. Cut to all, all if, of us homeless. Yeah, you know, <laughs> if, Judges has a nicer bindle. Like, like when you think about like the great comedians, in and you know a lot of people are you know as they get older they're in there suddenly they're in their sixties. How many are still writing, still at the top of their game and can't? Yeah, mm. get work. Right. Well, that's the question. Is is. That's why the fantasy or the story of Gary being like, I think I Gary Shandling the hell out of Gary Shandling. Like he made a lot of peace. He gave a lot of forgiveness. Like someone beautifully says in the movie, he has two Super Bowl rings. You know what I mean? So he had rung the bell twice. Some would say more because his stand-up career and everything that he did was this whole other section. And then I could see this guy when the, the clip you use of this podcast in the documentary is me saying, are you ready to die? Yeah. And he's like, I am. And it, which is very eerie when someone has passed, but at the time... Well, uh, and don't forget, in both those cases, he dismounted when he wanted to from both those shows. That's right. Which I love is it's concurrent with Seinfeld. There's so much great Seinfeld footage mm-hmm. in the movie. Again, talking about getting the rights to things, although I'm sure they're dear friends. Uh, it was fun to see that Larry Sanders and Seinfeld was happening at the same time. Yeah, on, on the same lots. On the same right lot. Next to each other. CBS Ranford was mm-hmm. really. That's yeah. incredible. So Gary would go take walks with Jerry and they would uh, bemoan how hard it was to make See, those shows. I love that. I called Mulaney this morning just because I was like, those, those relationships. Yeah. They, they're so important. And even when two comedians might not see each other as much as they want, it never really goes away. I don't really know too many people that have a lot of friends like that. But I have a lot of friends like that where it's yeah. like, if we talk, we pick back up and we have a lot to catch up on. It's wonderful. Uh, we, did you have a Shandling story? I did want to get to that. Anything specific? No, I was a, he was a huge influence. Alan Zweibel was a guy who was like a mentor to me when I started in oh, New York. Yeah, when I was in high school, my father knew him through the Friars Club. 
And at that point, I wanted to be a comedy writer. I was like a sophomore in high school. And so he sort of, he would take me to parties. He took me to a party at Gilda Radner's house. And really? Yeah. Took a, you what? Know, yeah. He was really cool to me. He and, created It's Gary Shanley. Show yeah. Gary. And wrote for the original Saturday Night Live. Right. Oh. So I was keenly aware of that show when it happened. And so Gary was immediately this guy that I was like, this isn't like anybody I've ever seen. But then the one time I met him, he was he had notes all around him at the Comedy Magic Club, and he was getting ready to go on. And I just said, "Hey, Gary, Greg Fitzsimmons, it's an I." He goes, "Yeah, we've met before." And then he just looked down and he went back to his notes. That's hilarious. And I walked out of the green room with like a gut punch. And Morgan Murphy walked out right after me. And she goes, "I saw it too. I saw it." Wow. <laughs> just so you don't think you're crazy, that was a yeah. we've met before. Had you met before? You hadn't. I- Absolutely not. That is that happened to me last night with George Shapiro. I was like, "Hey, nice to meet you." He was like, "We've met before." Oh, There's really? nothing like a good "We've met." That's yeah. a funny. We've met before as just a, to make a, a choice <clears throat> that every time someone says "Nice to meet you," to always say "We've met before." Yeah. <laughs> We're always dominating them. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. That's a power move. Yeah, it is a power move. Uh, but I have a, a question. When we did the pilot of Crashing, yeah, I had Gary come to the office. I know, and we watched it with Pete. And we're, we weren't locked, but we, no. were, we, we were happy, though. Yeah. And it was just to get Gary's opinion. Right here at the office. Awesome. So, I, you know, you can't watch a documentary without thinking, like, what would I have said if we talked about Gary? <laughs> at least that's how I am. And it would have been that story. So we're making Crashing. Judd directed the, the pilot. It's like you said, we had a version of it. And just like he was, a mentor still to you becoming to me somebody whose opinion we still so supremely value and i remember i'll never forget when my character walks out of the house like fuck you i'm sorry fuck you he leaves i'm so worried because gary's whole thing is honesty can you be brave enough to be real in front of the camera and stuff so i'm sitting here with the master and i'm like oh jesus and p walks out and gary goes yep and it meant so much to me and he knew that so somebody else in the dock talks about like at a certain point Gary's fourth Super Bowl ring was everyone else. I think Kevin was being a mentor was being a mentor, which I see you doing very deliberately. There was just the Wall Street Journal piece about it, but the, we're, it's good to have these guys that show you that at a certain point to answer your question, Greg, what would he do next? He was doing it in other people. You know what I'm saying? He's like, he was telling people that they're funny. It's, it is Kevin Neal. And he's like, you're funnier than ever. You look great. Like these people never stop needing that, even though he's Kevin Neal and to, to enable them to do the next thing. Mm-hmm. I wondered watching the movie, if Gary doing it again would have done less. There's some good confrontations in that movie that really seemed to take his legs out from him. So as I'm watching it, I'm imagining Gary there watching it. And when you see a life laid out like that, I wonder if you go, I don't know if I would have sued and been aggressive or fought. Like mm-hmm. he certainly felt like he was doing the right thing. But yeah. when you look at it like a retrospective, I wonder if you're like it kind of felt like a cautionary tale to be like, don't don't always attack. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, it, it, well, it's interesting. I, uh, you know, he had issues with the. Uh, with his manager over, you know, financial things and and how he felt he was being treated, and he really thought it was about standing up for himself. Like I need to do this to stand up for myself and what's right. So he must have felt like he was making up for something. Yeah. So you know, when his brother died when he was a kid, he was ten. His brother was thirteen and had cystic fibrosis. He talked about how his mom didn't let him go to the funeral because she didn't want to 
She didn't want Gary to see her cry. Yeah. And thought it would be upsetting. And as a result, he was never able to f- grieve. He, no one helped him through it and said, it's, it, it's going to be okay. So I, I sometimes think that, you know, when he was in these, you know, fights with his manager, that it was like saying, you're not allowed to ignore me. You're not allowed to mistreat me. You're not oh. allowed to. You can't not, just put me aside. Yeah. You can't just ignore, can't ignore my feelings. Yeah. And that that's why, oh, like, that's so standing up for himself was like, I deserve to be heard. Right. I deserve to I'm be I'm going respected. to the funeral, damn it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That really makes sense. And I lo- the idea of Gary not having kids, obviously when someone passes, you you selfishly wish they had kids. I wish there was like a, yes. you know, a Neil Shandling <laughs> <laughs> coming and doing a cameo or something on Crashing. Just like Neil with fucking- two L's. <laughs> 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 like a Neil Shandling. What else do you remember about that moment with Gary watching the pilot? Do you have any other specific memories? I do. I remember. Well, he's sitting right behind me, so it was like I was giving him an Uber ride, and uh, but the <laughs> but the terrain was the show. I just remember being nervous and that he really liked it and that he didn't have any notes. Yeah, he really loved it. And when he didn't have any notes, I, I'm not just buttering your bread, Jed. When you liked it, I was like, well, who else are we going to show it to? <laughs> then Gary likes it. I'm like, I felt really golden about yeah. it. I'm not just saying this. I mean, one of the things that I lost is is, is would have been great to have him on the show. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the guy. Or and just, that's why just talking about the show. It totally. Because if Gary was around... He would have loved to have kicked around stories. But that's the thing. Uh, for this. The emotional truth. That's such a big thing. If we do buy your master class, which is available now, I have to imagine <laughs> that you talk a lot about emotional truth. We were just pitching in the room, and you did it so effortlessly. I, I wonder if you even noticed. What would it be like if a guy is uh, sleazy with a waitress? And we're, we're pitching all these things that, as you said, they were kind of cartoonish. And that instinct, did, did you learn that from Gary to be like, Let's not do a caricature. Let's do something real. Or, or was that a good Well, line? Gary was very simple. He would just say, well, what would really happen? Yeah. What would you say? So if we couldn't think of a joke, Gary would say, forget. I don't care about the joke. What would you say in that moment? What's the thing you say? Right. And right. so uh, you know, if we're talking about a, you know, a comedian hitting on a waitress in a way that was not uh, appropriate, my head always goes to, well, what would really happen? And And – what would that waitress feel? And who is that waitress? Right. And can we make that character as three-dimensional that's as the another, lead of the show? Yeah, that's another big thing yeah. that you do. It's just like we try and write these sort of like walk-by parts. And you're like, yeah, but <laughs> you, I need to know. Is she a single mother? Is she yeah. uh, going to night school? Like you, I need something. Exactly. And that's all from Gary. And it's just you know, if, you, if your highest value is truth, then you have to, you have to create those characters. You have right. to go really deep. Or it's uh, it's all just you know. Yeah, I just started solid. watching season one of Larry Sanders again, and hey now. it doesn't. It, hey now, <laughs> and it doesn't. Greg always says hey now. It doesn't have punchlines. It just is layered characters with conviction, yeah. interacting with each other and be always being in each other's space, mm-hmm. like physically the way they directed yeah. it. I mean, often he would be standing in the doorway with Hank. Yes. Like facing each other within inches <laughs> yeah. just to watch him squirm. Yeah. But no joke in it. But you're laughing your ass off. Yeah. And, and uh, not to correct you, th- I loved the – there are a lot of hard jokes as well, but they're real hard jokes, meaning like uh, it's in the movie where Dana Carvey is doing the impression of Gary. Yes. And Gary says to Rip Torn, I don't whine like that. 
And Rip goes, not like that, no. Which is <laughs> like, that's just like a joke you'd read on a popsicle. It'd yeah. be a big yeah. stick. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I wonder if he had had kids, if he regretted having kids. I think that was one of the more emotional points in the movie was how... But then you kind of make, you know, it's a genetic disease with his brother. He could have given it to him. Well, I there, I, well Linda uh, Doucette was on Larry Sanders' show, who was uh, his uh, fiance for a time until they broke up, said that Gary was concerned that if he had a kid that the, the child might get the gene and have I've cystic fibrosis. I've people that have that with depression and other things. It's just like I don't want to pass this on. So that yeah. was another – And you don't know if it's true. That's the thing with Gary. You don't – like – there's a very good chance that's true. And there's a very good chance that he didn't want to have kids for other reasons and use that as a way to say he didn't want to have kids. You, right. you know, we'll never know right. what was in his mind. Because Pete didn't ask on the <laughs> podcast. You are <laughs> Captain Dipshit. <laughs> I'm just mad at you. I'm just mad at you. Yeah. The, I was also – he's such a perfectionist. That's too simple of a word. But he really seemed to find joy in looking at things as a craft, which is something that I noticed when we were shooting Crashing. If I ever lost focus on almost just being like a carpenter, like we're just building a table because we make tables and we like tables. So forgetting the craft thing, you'd get low. Mm-hmm. I Did you pick up on – because you like to do things correctly. Is that another lesson? Or did you think you kind of took it too far because Gary did take things some things that you, no one would take that seriously. He took them very, very seriously. Well, he was studying uh, engineering in college, and then he started taking some creative writing classes. But I think he had the mind of an engineer, and so he looked at comedy mm. like you would look at engineering. You sit at a table, you write, you put in your time, you fix problems. Mm. And I think having a little bit of a scientific mind mixed in with his creativity – helped him yeah that's interesting i wonder if his approach to enlightenment was also that way because i i know i can sometimes feel like i can earn it yeah like build it like i've studied (laughs) this i spent time with this guy this guy knows me uh like if jack cornfield says hello to me i'm like hey (laughs) um i must be close so i wonder if that's one of the reasons i relate so hard well that's why you know ram das is in the movie and there's a scene where Gary and I are talking to him. We're doing a podcast with him, but we're doing it over Skype. Yeah, and uh, you know, he he basically says, uh, "You don't want to be in your head. It's all judgment. You want to be in your heart. Like, right? Be be here." He's like, "Be here," and he points to his heart, not here, and points yeah. to his head. Yeah, and I, I feel like that really is the. The idea of the whole movie, because like what you're saying, I'm one of those people too. I read tons of self-help. I know all the theories. Right. But at the core of most of the Buddhist uh, texts is the idea of letting go of all of that. Right. And that even talking about Buddhism in a way you're not doing the thing you're supposed to do, which is completely let right. go. Ramdas would also say that like one of the ways in is is contemplation and learning, right? Using the intellect as a as a power yes. to get there. But he's like the last thing that power needs to do is self destruct. Yeah. Which is always really interesting. They they liken it to having a thorn in your so in your leg, which is a problem. And then you use another thorn to get that thorn out. Yes. So it, the intellect is the second thorn, but then you throw both away. Oh, I which like I that. that's a good one, Pete. I'm always trying to let when I'm when I'm cramming the ideas and and trying like like Ramdas, he's an achiever too. Mm-hmm. I'm like an achieving type person. I like to think that those ideas are kind of raining down 
into my heart yes. because I start forgetting them. But I do feel more serenity than I did a, even a year ago. So I, I hope – that's my hope is yeah. that these things can trickle down. That's because you get a raise between first and second season of Crashing. Yes. <laughs> I but just feel like the fact I'm... that you got famous maybe is the reason why you feel better? Your access... I'm just feeling a lot more calm. I think yeah. it must be the dissolving of the intellect, <laughs> not the fact that uh, I, I, I sell more tickets. Yeah. But I think <laughs> the, the opposite might be true with Gary is that the success going away might have actually led him to search deeper for happiness without the trappings of success. Because they confused him. I think they were difficult for him when they were happening. I think he wanted to figure out, who am I if I'm not this character of Gary Shandling? And that only by not working and not making that his priority was he able to go, what's left if I'm not this comedian and I'm not this guy who made these shows? Like, what's what's left? That's what Jim Carrey told me that they would – talk about hmm. and it's it's really interesting and i i, I sometimes i'm torn because i think you can really go down a wormhole hmm. and just get nothing done and you're spiritual but you've demotivated yourself and and i, I don't always think it's done in the healthiest way because it can just shut your whole shop down yeah. mentally. I, I know I feel that way. That if I start reading too much Buddhist stuff, I just want to get under the covers and you know watch an old season of The Bachelor and right. be done. Right. I, I have trouble keeping my my motivation while desperately trying to lose my ego. Right. Uh, it, it it's a tricky line. Well, I think that's your ego may be resisting. I feel that yeah. way too. Whenever Val and I get back from the Ramdas retreat, the first thing we do is like watch a bunch of tv like you don't watch tv for a week and we come back and we're just like you want to watch some fucking tv and and it feels really good yeah that's one of the reasons we're we're so drawn to it it feels good to be us and we don't know who we are if we're not ourselves it's a scary thing that's i think that's why like the guy burning his fingers i think that's the second most scary thing he's done probably like burning his inner world yes is a lot is probably a lot more difficult and he went to thailand and did I think two years not speaking. Wow. Uh, after, after that. And I remember I went and visited the meditation center while they were building it. And we took a break and he gave me a corn on the cob and he had a corn on the cob and I'm eating it like <laughs> the way I eat yeah. corn on the cob. Yeah. And he's literally like with his fingers twisting one kernel of corn and then eating it and chewing it for a while oh my god and then the next one (laughs) and i'm just like i'm like i'm like bugs bunny eating corn (laughs) how how much of the corn did he eat i I, he may have had eight eight kernels kernels. wait so he burned his fingers off and then didn't speak for two years yeah But, but not like right then but the, you wasn't like tell the finger story for a while. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you take the vow of silence. After two years, people go, so what's going on? Fuck! <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's so funny break. is you know, the whole thing about Buddhism is you know, no judgment, loving everyone, we're all one. But I spent the day with him, and when I got home, the first thing I thought was, I don't think the monk likes me very much. Uh, <laughs> I really got insecure. That he just but that's thinks, a huge He thinks thing. I'm a fool. Dude, when we go to, again, the Ramdas retreat, the first year I got really depressed because I realized and saw 
how badly I wanted Ramdas to single me out, tell me I was special. Yeah. And it was Duncan. Duncan Trussell was like, Pete, just just play it out. L- imagine a UFO lands and Ramdas, 60s Ramdas even, and uh, Jesus and fucking Elvis or whoever you want comes out of the UFO and goes, Greg, you're the best. We've talked about it and you're the best. We love you. You're the best. <laughs> and they get back on and they fly away. And then what? Like you realize you're kind of yeah. chasing something that's so ethereal and vague. And I think that might be why some people find contentment like these monks potentially yeah. because they're just like, why chase a phantom? That's that's how I felt after I won the People's Choice Award. <laughs> <laughs> I had that moment. But no, I, know, I do know what you mean. And the experience that I've had of that is I was with uh, a friend and is this friend you this, uh, this friend is uh, someone who cannot be named but <laughs> steven spielberg walks over to the table uh-huh and begins complimenting this person very effusively and walked away and i said uh i mean you don't need it anymore right like that was it like yeah. that's everything you ever wanted to hear yeah your whole life i have a letter from steven spielberg uh that was complimenting knocked up Wow. That, I should be able to read and have that moment. Yeah. But it doesn't – it really doesn't work. And I've thought that. Like what would it take? Right. Would, would it well, take Scorsese? You, who, who, who do I need to to give me self-esteem? The universe itself just pulsing. Like the end of Close Encounters just being like, John, <laughs> you have done it. But I mean that's that's what Ramdas says. You know, He talks about it's the great ice cream cone in the sky. You think it's going to satisfy you, but you drink, you eat it, and all you want is a glass of water. And after you have the water, all you want is a nap. And after the nap, all you want to do is do something. Mm. So the, I think these guys can feel ghostly and can do things like eating a thing of corn is because they're owning the idea that that's the only thing that's actually happening. It's the only yeah. thing that's real. But this is all coming from a guy who, when we were waiting to hear about the third season of Crashing, was embarrassed how happy I was. When it yes. got picked up. Yeah. Like I get in the car and play the woohoo song by Blur and just drive around and eat. I literally went and got a vegan ice cream, Val and I, and hot fudge and just having the best time. So like which is it, Pete? Yeah. And is it I'm r- not a is corn it, twister is it yet. Wrong to, is it wrong to feel that way? But that's the other thing. Like it's again, it's Alan Watts. He's like, don't try to be he, – he, he, I think he was quoting Lao Tzu. He's saying, don't try to be self-righteous. Don't try to be empty. Don't try to be holy. He's like, be like the trees. The trees grow up, you know, straight up without exception and no one tells them. Be like the river. The river flows. Be like Pete. I'm playing the part of Pete perfectly. That serves its purpose. I'm part of your karma and your karma. I'm helping you figure things out or frustrating you or, or delighting you that helps you do the work that you need to do. You're helping me do the work that I need to do. So I kind of I go into that mode as well but is it also an emotional thing of like if you allow yourself to feel that happy it's also allowing yourself to feel sadder later yeah totally i'm stuck i'm pushing away not getting i'm pushing away getting canceled i'm pulling in keep going or maybe you won't mind being canceled sometimes i think that uh like when a movie's about to come out and people say, like, it looks like it's going to be a big hit. And then other people say, like, don't believe it because sometimes yeah. they think it's going to be and then it isn't. And you're going to feel so bad. And I always say, no. If I, like, believe this is going to be a mega hit, I got that joy. Yeah. And if it's bad, it's not worse. 
but I got to pretend <laughs> that you it was a hit. That. You were like, go <laughs> ahead and, and get excited. Yes. Because at least you'll have that. Yeah. And didn't you tell me something that Iris just said about that, too, is like when you worry about things? Oh, well, I, I was reading Michael J. Fox's book, which is a great book, and he said that he doesn't like to worry because if you worry about something and assume something bad happens, then if it really does happen, then you've suffered through it twice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's Michael J. Fox finishing his book. Done. Is the title Fantastic Mr. Fox taken? <laughs> Was it worth it? No, I don't even Didn't understand the joke. The Fantastic Mr. Fox is a book. People listening are laughing. Why is that? Wait, what is Michael? Oh, oh because his name is Michael J. Fox. Ah. And he's like, is the title? Wow. Yeah. No, I, I didn't. You know, here's the thing. I'm getting older. I didn't even realize that you were doing a Fox pun. Oh, wow. I was like, what's the connection between George Clooney and Michael J. Fox? Ah. I was following a different line. When you ate your corn, when you mimed eating yes. your corn, I was like, he's eating like Mr. Fox. So it's been in my head. So I really had that one ready. <laughs> this is why when uh, I'm in my 60s, I won't be allowed to play the comedy store. That's oh right. Greg, that's right. This is where the that's ageism right. starts. And right. it's it's deserved. Don't live it twice, Judd. Don't live it twice. <laughs> I'm not going to live it twice. See, all our lessons are <laughs> folding in they on are. each other. They definitely are. Um, how was it for you emotionally? Because I know the day it came out was a little bit like the premiere, I mean, mm-hmm. is a little bit like a birth. And are you yes. having that postpartum? Are you? Is it helping you grieve or did it block your grieving? Well, I'm going to work on the book next so I can delay grieving another year. What's the book? The next. A, a scrapbook of Gary's notes and oh, really? jokes and things and interviews. But is it a way of diving in or postponing or is it both? I really don't know. When Gary died, I thought his life is a lesson. So all this is like a lesson he would want me to learn. So this is time well spent. Yeah. That if I think about his life and what he was trying to do, all the lessons I need are in there. But so it, it's maybe part of grieving maybe it's simultaneously avoiding grieving yeah it's it's it really hard to know i think once it's out it will feel different when what it's it, out in the world and i i don't know if i'll be depressed or empty i don't you know really have a a project that's about to fill that space yeah. so part of me is like oh maybe you should live in that open space for a little while and see what fills it as yeah. opposed to desperately trying to fill it. But it, it, it definitely is weird because I feel like I spent more time with Gary in the last two years than I actually did in life in life because I, he was in my head all day. I was watching interviews all day. I was yeah. looking at cuts and I was reading his diaries. So uh, I'm sure it's a much more intense experience than even I can acknowledge. Was there any hesitation to read his diaries? Absolutely. I definitely dipped in slowly. <laughs> and only when I finished all of them and had a sense of what they were did I feel okay about it. Right. Because when you're reading someone's diaries for the first time, you don't know what's coming. Yeah. And so there's this annoying guy named Jude, Jude something. <laughs> you get to 1984, and that's when I buried the body in the backyard. Yeah. Like, like you don't know what oh, you're about to worse. read, and uh, and so I almost had to absorb his thoughts about his whole life mm. to then re- realize it was okay to read that. And did it? It must have made you feel even more connected to this person. I mean, it connected in a way that's very hard to express it's almost like a vulcan mind meld i mean imagine sitting and reading all of someone's personal thoughts for 30 years right i mean i would literally be shaking from the emotional experience of feeling all the energy of 
good times or terrible times and, and reading page after page of just his nervousness about something or excitement about something. And I, I would just kind of shallow breathe and, and, and live it with him. Mm. But I'm living it in a very compressed way because one journal might cover two years. He wouldn't write every day. Mm. And so, so many things are happening and I, I would get like exhausted to holding my breath, seeing what, what, he was feeling about something, mm. you know, in the early years, a lot of it was frustration. Am I funny? Is this ever going to work out? And then there was 10 pages of just ranting about how he, he, he couldn't handle the pressure and the, and the, the stress of not knowing if he was going to be able to do, do this, if he was going to be a good comedian, if he was going to make it. Mm. And then suddenly it just ends and you see that he just got it out and he just gets himself – gets his self-esteem back and he goes right back in right. to try to do it. But you know, who knows what happened that night where he's like, fuck it. Fuck all of this. Right. I'm sick of this. Get the fuck out of my head. I can't think like this. And then it, it was like he defeated it mm. and decided how he wanted to look at it. Then suddenly the next run of sections are all about letting go and believing in himself and not – you know, there's a long run where he says there's no reason to have stage fright because my goal is to be Gary Shandling and I'm always Gary Shandling. Mm. So even if I'm nervous on stage, I'm still Gary Shandling. I still achieve my goal. So now why be nervous? That's so interesting. And he was he was working out these comedic questions. It's actually funny that you say that because as I was doing this, I, I was like, oh, it's weird that I'm talking to both of you guys and – I'm not nervous. And I think what happened was I realized that even if I fuck it up, that becomes the show. It's a very stand-up yes. lesson. Yes. It's like if I fuck up, then consume that. Like watch me flounder and that'll – as long as you're staying yourself. The real failure is losing touch with yourself and mimicking what you think they want or, or yes. selling out or something. But he's absolutely right. Just staying yourself and owning what can happen. It sounds like wisdom. Well, he, he said to me when he saw me do stand-up one night, he said, you know, my only advice is you're doing everything right except when you're trying to be a comedian. Hmm. And that really unlocked the whole thing hmm. to just drop all the bullshit and the artifice and right. just be myself. Well, it's hard because like when you when you, it's it's really about being in the flow. And if you yeah. if you look at athletes, they learn a sport, they internalize it, their muscles, their coordination, and then they can go to that place. But as a comedian, you're really just it's your mind yeah. that becomes the thing that has to sure. get into the flow to yeah. let go of. That's a lot to let go of. Right. It's not just like a sore muscle. Not to put down a sore muscle, but right. you know. There's a lot more clutter up. There's a lot more that could go wrong in your head. Although athletes have to play a mental game as well. But mm. but but for an athlete, the thing that you're absorbing is the repetition of uh, you know if the ball comes in this direction, I hit my forehand this way from this angle. Right. The flow a comedian is trying to get into is having access to some imaginative, creative space that you never know if it will provide the right, right. thing to say right. that has the effect of reaching people or making them laugh. So there's a terror in that. And Gary wrote in his journals in the 80s a lot about knowing he was going to sit down next to Johnny and he couldn't control what Johnny was going to say and to to be relaxed enough and have enough self-esteem to know that something good would come. Yeah. And he wrote about it. And we all think that, but we don't consciously 
write that type of thing. Right. He had a good look at it. There's a real Zen in the art of archery. If I think nothing, I will release the arrow type of That was the book he wanted to give me when I left. I I still kick myself for not taking it from him because that would be such a treasure to me. But he was like, he mentioned it on the podcast. He, he, I think he liked giving it to people who came by the house because that book meant so much to him. I, and I think he was trying to apply it to, to, to his stand-up. And there was another thing in his diary where he talked about letting go and having a simultaneous, a simultaneous performance and non-performance. Hmm. So the idea of both trying – and completely not trying at the same time mm. when you're on stage, which really does capture it. I've never heard anyone talk about it. Yeah. In that, that way. tension is, is really interesting to watch yeah. too. Cause Gary was a guy that went out with loaded lines. Like you could just tell he, he goes, I can be funny at, at the drop of a hat or sometimes I just have a, don't have a hat. Like Seinfeld even admits that he can't tell when he's improvising and when he's saying a line. Cause I, I think that was his talent right there. But sometimes it drifts something that sounded like he had written it ahead of time. Yeah. Sometimes it wasn't. In the journals, did you see the other side? Did you, it seemed like sometimes he would let his ego out as well. Like, I'm fucking killing it. I'm, I'm going to host The Tonight Show. Well, there definitely was times where he was happy that it was going well. And that was exciting to read in journals the first time You know, he went on the road and killed and felt good that it was falling into place and, and seeing his confidence – rise and and also each new period like now he's headlining now he's opening up for donna summer now he's doing talk shows and Mm. and finding his confidence getting excited and then saying okay what next next i want to be on the tonight show okay what next i want to host the tonight show yeah what next i want to write a tv show for myself yeah and he and he really just took each thing on i think that taking the inventory of your brain is a valuable lesson firstly uh, I, I forgot where I read it, but it was talking about when you journal your thoughts and your worries and your anxieties and your goals aren't just kicking around in your head randomly. They're right there in front of you and you can close the book and put it away. Yes. So it's a very nice way to compartmentalize. But this is a guy – we were talking about Kevin Hart. Mm-hmm. What was the story like Kevin Hart in a pilot that you shot riffed exactly how his career was going to go? Yeah, he was playing a young comedian in a pilot we did in 2001. Or 2000, it was him and Amy Poehler and Jason Siegel as young actors and comedians in North Hollywood. It was called North Hollywood. And Amy Poehler played Judge Reinhold's assistant. <laughs> and and Jason's day job was he played Frankenstein at Universal Studios. <laughs> and Kevin had a semi-racist beer commercial running and had tons of money from, from the beer commercial. <laughs> But in it, he he does a riff how he thinks he's going to be the next Chris Tucker, and he says, you know, uh, you know, I'm better than him because you you can't understand him. You can understand me, but you can't understand him. You see, <laughs> and and he lays out what he wants to do. He wants oh, to be said, he's he's Scooby Doo. I'm Scrappy. No, yeah, he wants to be in the Eddie new, Murphy Scooby Doo. He so. wants to be in the, in the new Beverly Hills Cop. Yes, and he wants to be the nephew. Yeah, and he says, you know, he's like Scooby Doo. I'm Scrappy Doo. Yeah, and uh, and he basically laid out what he wanted to do: was be this giant yeah. Chris Tucker type comedian and have an action career. Yeah, and and he was bragging about how it was definitely going to happen. Yeah, and uh, you know, for those who believe in uh, visualizing things to making them happen, right? Kevin certainly always had a vision for what it would be, and and worked hard till he made it happen. And Gary had it in pen and paper. I want to host the. Tonight. Oh yeah, like he would write these goals out. Yeah. 
Val and I would do that every once in a while on New Year's Day. We'll write out goals and stuff. Mm-hmm. Because even if it doesn't work in the mm-hmm. way that The Secret claims to work, yeah. at least you know what you'd like. That's something that we're trying to address yes. in this season of Crashing. The third season of Crashing is like, what is it like when you really get honest about what you want? Because yeah. I think that is the first step potentially to getting it. It's just kind yeah. of going like, well, at least I, it's gross, but uh, I would like my own TV show. Like that's, yeah. You kind of have to apologize the first yes, time you say Yes, it's hard to it. admit yeah. what you want to do. Greg, just, what's your list now? What's the Greg list? I really like... Don't say plateau. I'm just saying I'm really, I'm really happy where I am, I, and it's almost like dangerous because sometimes I see people with super drive, and I think you know here I am I'm, you know not to blow smoke up your guys' head, but it's a really fucking nice gig. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, we like to go home early. I, I live three and a half minutes from here, but like you know the stand up gigs you're I do. Always late. I'm always, <laughs> <laughs> I do the gigs I want to. I don't work cities that I want to work. I do my podcast. I sit for an hour and I talk to people yeah. that I want to uninterrupted. Interesting yeah. people. I got a fucking good life. I my, I, I love know. my wife. I love my kids. And that's you a know. big Rob Bell thing too. Is like why? Like you could let's say be writing some I don't know who cares web series. Why? Why? Mm. For what? Like, you don't need it. Your life is great. There's something to be said about maintaining a good life. That's something that I've learned from Rob. People are like, write a book. He's like, why? I'm touring. I'm happy. I have my family. My kids are growing up. I don't want to, like, add the next thing to do. So there really is an art to saying no to I still think I started really young. I was in college when I started doing stand-up, and I fucking went for it for a lot of years. And I feel like... I accomplished a good amount, and and you know, I didn't become a star. But then I look back and I go, I realize I never wanted to be a star. I yeah, I'm very. I've just gotten to where I can express myself, and I make a great living. And I don't know what else I really want. You have your privacy. I have my privacy. Pete yeah. Holmes doesn't anymore. Look at that's me. right. <laughs> Is it tough? Are you he's getting... eleven feet tall? It's like a big bird walking down the street. He's... That's what I say about the Sklar brothers. They yeah. get recognized ten times as much because they're twins. Yeah, yes. like you just want to check out right. twins anyway. Right. Then you go, were they on Honorage? <laughs> <laughs> Weren't they separated uh, from each other on House? Remember that? <laughs> Wait, they, they were? were conjoined twins on House, and he he separated them. No, it way. was the most surreal thing I've ever seen. But how much are you getting recognized on the street now? Um, it's a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot more, but it's always very nice. I, I ran mm-hmm. into a woman. It's a lot at the grocery store. Uh, and somebody came up, a lot of people come up and say that like her sons were musicians and they're obsessed with the show because they see a parallel between the dues and anything that's like unifying in that way and kind of gets people feeling less alone in their ambition whatever it might be show business or otherwise that there's a grind to it and a pain to it those are the ones that mean the most to me but that was kind of like a, a heady way of saying it happens a lot more mm. but it, not in any annoying ways i i still think it's a, like a really really nice thing are you looking forward to like a cash out tour where you do some small uh, theaters uh, no, but I mean, you know like a, a a thinly written netflix hour or something. <laughs> um no i'm gonna uh I'm excited to do stand-up when this is done in a serious way. Mm. You know what I mean? We're doing a show about stand-up that kind of, in a funny way, uh, has me doing less stand-up. I I would rather be doing this, and I want to keep doing this. I don't think I even have to say that. And what a wonderful thing. We talk about actors all the time. The job goes away. It's always what's next, what's next, what's next. Jon Stewart had that same thought. Daily show goes away. You just you do stand-up. And that's... 
you talk about what you're saying, the good life of it. It's like if when this goes away or when we decide to stop, you do stand up and you're like, oh, right. And and, and I, I hope people are more invested in the idea because the show is so personal to me that maybe they'll want to come out and see what, what, what it's like when I do stand up now. Hmm. But it's a, it's a wonderful thing. I spent a lot of time talking about spiritual things, trying to stay in touch with that gratitude, which is kind of what we were talking about, Jed. I mean, like, sometimes when I'm stoned, and I don't get stoned often, but when I get stoned, I'll be like, holy shit. <laughs> like, it, that's when I'm able to go. I'm the new Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> <laughs> how did it happen? <laughs> but how did it happen? How did right here, well, it wasn't here, but this is where we shot the sketch. Pitching you the show as a joke here in the office. Then later, when you had time in your calendar, Judd, which is so rare, pitching the show while you're getting back into stand-up. Then the pilot gets picked up, and now we're in the third season. Sometimes uh, weed, especially because I'm not drinking anymore, helps me get into that space where you're just like, oh, wow. What, what, what about you, Judd? Do you have a way or does it come in waves where you go like, wait a minute, like – this happened for me. That's it's funny. That- it's funny because my manager said that a lot yesterday. That he looked around the the premiere of the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling and saw everybody uh, in the in the audience. You know, all these people that we admire, yeah, comedians. And he was watching the documentary and and seeing Jim Carrey and 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 Sandler's there and Saget and on and on and on. And you uh, and uh, and he said, like, I, I just kept thinking, like, I, I can't believe we got to do all this. I can't mm. believe we got to be a part of comedy and have had all these experiences and everyone's done such amazing work. And it's just been a, you know, it's like an honor to to have gotten to watch it. Like, I, yeah. I feel that way. I think, wow, I got to watch the whole rise of Jim Carrey. Yeah. You know, I got to watch the whole rise of. Of Sandler and and yeah. and now like with you or Kamal or yeah. or Amy, just even to witness people coming into their own, finding their creativity, right? Uh, you know, getting identified by the audience as someone they want to see is something that you do need to take a moment to go. It's a it's a special thing, and you have certain friends that you can do it with. For me, it's Sandler. Right, he's the guy that you know. Because we used to live together, and and when we first started, that we can go like, isn't this nuts? Yeah, that we're still doing this, and a lot of it is because of doing stand up. He started doing stand up again a few years ago, and I'm going to open up for him when he tapes his uh, Netflix special in a, a few weeks. Oh wow! And we'll we'll just go like, I can't believe it. That's so we're great. In the business, like forget like doing well. Just the fact like we were able to do anything. And we didn't have to get a real job, right? And uh, is is shocking, but I, it is something that I need to do more because usually all I'm thinking is I don't have another idea. Mm, right. I'm out of gas, right? And and even after finishing this, it's a two year project. This Gary documentary, I should be allowed to take a few years off, totally, and just shut down and see what occurs to me. But but. Anytime I do that, it's just something, you know, it, it does take so long to generate ideas that it's very hard to jump off the treadmill. Right. You, you do want to keep a couple of pots, you know, because boiling. you like it. I, I, I like it. It's hard to know when it, it requires a real shutdown. Yeah. And that's, that's what I, I can never tell, especially now. I, I, I can't tell. How long should I 
shut my brain down. Well, Gary, for. this is straight from the documentary. He's like, yeah. how long do I go on vacation for? Exactly. And that was the great Jim Carrey party. He's like, we don't know. We don't know. When is it a thing that it's kind of nice to be addicted to? When is it really something yeah. that you need to get distance from? But I, I hope you don't mind me saying, I've been kind of tickled watching you. You do care. You're not a guy playing chess with people's yeah. lives. When Crashing got picked up, you, you and I were excited. Yes. You weren't oh, just oh, yeah, going yeah. like... Oh, great. You're not like, I think people might think that you're the mansion on the hill that goes like, well, who cares? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. go, don't go. But I think that's one of the things that comes through in your work. Now I'm just buttering bread yeah. is that you like to do it. And that's, yeah. and Sandler likes to do it. Sandler's no, another we guy. Love, we love to do it. Who I doesn't? Mean, yeah. I, I, I think the one thing that I've been uh, on track with the whole time is that I only do stuff that I really like to do. Yeah. Every once in a while, you think you're going to like something, and it all caves in, and you're like, "Why did I do this with that person?" And yeah. but but by core, uh, you know, decision making process is: do I want to be in the in the foxhole with this person? Will this be fun? Is this right. an area I want to talk about? And and if I'm not really excited, then I I don't move forward. Yeah, you know. I think that, well, that's like the Joseph Campbell thing, following your bliss, not just going like, well, this might be commercially successful. But that's the other thing that maybe we've talked about the other times you've done the podcast, but it wasn't just watching other people's careers. We were just talking about the shift in comedy in the room when like I was talking about the shift from a certain type of comedy to what you did, which was Seth and Jonah and Sarah. And Mm -hmm. it changed. So you kind of if comedy is like a tank of water, you put your whole forearm in it and sloshed it. Like you changed the tone and the conversation. Well, I think we said, we love Stripes, but we wish Ramus was the star of more movies. Yeah. You know, we watched all those movies and thought... Yeah, why isn't it Egon? We want the, we want, we want the sidekicks. You know, it, that's really what it was. Yeah. I mean, you could say John Candy did that in a few movies that he starred in, but that was basically... An idea that we did not think about consciously, right? But was why not TV about us? Well, that's what Paul Feig thought with Freaks and Geeks. Right? No one ever talked about me on TV. Right. I never saw myself on TV. Right? And I, and I think uh, you know, no one talked about the potheads. Right? I mean, I remember when he sent me Freaks and Geeks, cold, just sent me the script, never told me about it. And I saw it said Freaks and Geeks, and started reading, and I went, "Oh my God, he's written a, a show about the geeks." And the potheads. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And I, I was so excited. <laughs> and and I, I think before he did that, we made a movie together. He acted in it that I, I uh, co-wrote with Steve Real Heavyweights, which in a way was that also like, yeah, yeah I, let's make a movie about the fat kids. Right. I, I want to see the fat kids. Right. I don't want to see the studly kids. I'm not rooting <laughs> for them. They're fine. Right. Uh, and, and so it's fun that that now when you watch – television and movies it's really opened up so that in a way that's the mainstream of it yeah it's those characters now you watch there's a struggle to get the more the 90 early 90s style is gone in such a heavy way that now you just see what you I think you influenced and pushed us into that way. Well, just that anybody can be the star of a show. Because it really used to be you'd go in and do a TV show and they'd say, I don't want to hire that person. They're not attractive enough. Right. <laughs> and that was a real conversation that I would have all the time. Right. Oh, no one's going to watch them. They just wanted a, you know, a Dawson's Creek kind of vibe. Right. 
And so just the fact that that wall got busted through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and there were other people doing it as well. But but certainly Feig was a big, you know, a big influence in I want my show. He was just so passionate about it. Yeah. I want a Did show you feel about that way Sam when, Weir. Yeah. Did you feel that way when you made your movies? Like, I'm tired of... Even I didn't the- think of it as like a militant, I'm doing something different. I just, I, I, I was a little different in that I noticed that after the fact. You're like Paul Thomas Anderson. You thought you were just making a comedy, but you were really doing something that was very unique to you. Usually that's what happens is I just go, Seth's funny. And I don't think right. I you don't, I don't think it's beyond that. Yeah. You weren't going like this will change the zeitgeist. No. I just like, who's funnier than that guy? <laughs> and in my head, Seth is like some, you know, he's he, he's like a combo of people that I admired. Yeah, uh, you know, he's got like some Harold Bill Ramis. Murray in him yeah. and Ramis. Yeah. And, and and John Candy and and, there, and Jason Siegel is another person yeah. like that. And when we did Bridesmaids, I didn't think, oh wow, we're we're doing. A, a, a movie with a lot of women. I didn't even occur to me. I just thought no one's funnier than Kristen Wiig. Yeah, yeah and that's yeah. all that was in my head. Yeah, for years. And then right when it was done, people said, "You know, this could really help get more movies like this made." Yeah, and I went, "Really?" Like I, I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> right. I wasn't trying to to make any statement because I, I actually think it's sad you even need to make the statement. Right. You know, Kristen Wiig is you know. One of the superstars of all time, right? Right. It shouldn't be any any kind of deal that she's the lead in in a movie, right? She's un- unbelievable. So the the other conversation seems ridiculous, right? Of course, that's so funny. Um, is there anything else we should cover? But when is the documentary out? This will come out on Wednesday, March twenty sixth and twenty seventh, two parts. Uh huh. So it's like the Eagles documentary. I love it, and it has a little Don Felder in there. It also Randy opens, he, the first line of the second part is Gary saying it's March 30th, which, subtle hit and dropped, my birthday. Nice. I felt, like, I felt like a tie to the movie. And oh, then he died goodness. very close to my birthday. Yes. Which, uh, which is less fun. <laughs> yes. I, I didn't mean to make it be like, and that, but the movie, it's cool that it starts there and it ends. And now oh, here it is right. coming out around the same time. Yes. So I hope, uh, hope people see. And, uh, I'm sure they will. It's fantastic. The first time we watched it, we watched it here at the office. It was me, you, Church, Oren, Judah, maybe. And at the end of it, we just took a five-minute don't-look-at-each-other break. Because <laughs> it's a, this sun-filled office, and we were just all crying. But in that good way. Yeah. It's another one of those things that you've done, which is like, you think it's a movie about Gary, and it is. But it's also a movie about everything that Gary was like interested in, and life, and death, yeah. and consciousness, and and everything that we're kind of stuck playing here. Yes. So, like, even if you're not like a super aficionado of everything he's done, you're going to be rocked by the movie. It's going to be very moving and very, very funny. Well, it's and it's very much man. sorry. It's very much like I hope my epitaph reads, which what I read from this movie, which is just at the end of your life, just I tried. On my headstone. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he fucking <laughs> tried. He I was tried. constantly trying to be a better person, yeah. understand more. And, you know, the, the, the credits or the accomplishments fall by the wayside of, like, mm-hmm. did you, yeah. you know, commit? I, right. Every time I, I take off on a plane when I'm, and I am nervous, in my head I always think, you did the best you could. Wow. That's, that's the thing that I say. Like, when I try to – because I realize I only can let go of being nervous if I accept my own death. So whenever I take off in a plane, I assume I'm about to die. Yeah. And I go, 
You did the best you could. I have that too. Mm. I used to get on the plane and think, hope it don't crash, which is actually a Bill Cosby bet. Mm. He goes, people get on planes and they're nervous, but I, I'm bold. I get on and go, hope it don't crash. Obviously, that's from years ago. Uh, but if you're nervous, I got some pills. Oh, to no. Make the flight a little oh, more no. relaxed. Oh, no. <laughs> 138 <laughs> I, women on the plane. Then I started going, hope it don't crash. Grateful that the last one didn't crash. Because uh, gratitude's mm-hmm. a better attitude. Yeah. And now I just go, I'm grateful for the eternal moment. And in one of those moments, I'll be dying. But like, it's always this. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It's like what Ram Dass says. It's always this. So just gratitude now. It used to be fear. Then it was fear and gratitude. Now it's just gratitude. And that helps me kind of like what you're saying. I did my best is saying I'm grateful that I did my best. It's a different frequency to set your brain to than just like, boy. Because even you want to talk about like unpacking dreams. There's also unpacking fear. It's like when you're afraid of death, a good therapist or a good whatever will help you go like, what is it specifically? I don't want to be forgotten. I'm afraid of a void. I'm afraid of pain. I'm afraid of the unknown. When you really start kind of laying it out and knowing either what you want or what you're afraid of, it's a little bit easier for your brain to compartmentalize and deal with those things, at least in my experience, which is probably why Gary kept all those journals. Well, in in his journal before a a major operation that was life-threatening, he wrote, if you live three years be grateful if you live three weeks be grateful yeah and i actually think he lived three years wow from that entry someone um told me that gary was emailing with them and he was talking about he wasn't sure how long a break to take before engaging in a big creative project and he said you know it's hard to know when you you know fill back up uh, but I, I should probably, you know, get it started again because I think I got about six weeks left, and then he died six weeks later. Wow, that's incredible. I hope this helped you. It's it really is a labor of love that you did for your friend. I like to think he's a huge fan of this movie, and yes. and felt that love. You joked at his memorial. You're telling the jokes that he would have wanted. And I know that you made this movie. And I know that it wasn't easy. It's probably got to be one of the hardest things you've ever done. Well, the pilot with you was... (laughs) (laughs) Will you show it to your... Your family, Greg? How will you experience this with your... Well, I started watching Larry Sanders with my son, who loves it. He's seen like three episodes and just... I I had no idea if he would dig it because it's got a very specific tone. Does it feel dated? Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Just the lapels. Just the lapels. <laughs> Those are some giant ass lapels. Wow. Yeah, the outfits travel. The David Spade outfit in that second episode. <laughs> um but yeah, I, I think it's something that you know, it it it's it's I would like to see let them see it's a spiritual journey. No matter what you're doing in life, it's about, you know, how you're trying uh, how you're trying. Yeah. Yeah. I know this. I, I, I wanna show it to my my kids. And I hope that they'll get, you know, the the main message of it. Yeah. The Ram Dass message of loving awareness. Yeah. Val loved that part. Like, I listened to so much Ram Dass, I guess. I was like, yeah, that's great. That's kind of what he says. But she was, I looked over and she was crying at that part. It's one of the most powerful things. And it sneaks it in there. That's what we're talking about. It's a movie about Gary. And there's a great scene with you, Gary, and Ram Dass talking, and you're like, what is going on here? I thought we were going to talk about like behind-the-scenes bloopers of the Larry Sanders show or something. It's so much more than that. 
so people check it out. Do either of you have a hardest time you've laughed story that you haven't told on this podcast yet that you want to end with? Because we did get a little heavy. Hardest time you've laughed? Have you laughed recently really, really hard at something stupid? Have you fallen? <laughs> have you farted? Me and my wife. <laughs> me and my wife. This was at Christmas. We were. Um, I got the Christmas tree, and I'm on the front porch, and I'm uh, knocking the, the, uh, the planter thing onto the bottom of it. Uh-huh. And I'm crouched down, and we, you know, we fart in front of each other to make each other laugh. And so I let out, and because I'm crouched and wearing jeans, it's like it's got a nice slow release. It's being held back. So there's a deep low, and she's standing behind me. She takes her foot and puts it over my asshole and goes up and down like a schwa on a trumpet horn. So it starts making a... God. And we fucking fell down for five she minutes. Couldn't <laughs> to manipulate the ass air. That is the new best hardest laugh story I've ever I heard in my die. life. And my neighbor walked by with a dog, and we were on all fours, just dying. We couldn't stop. Oh. And I just because I just felt like I married the right person. That's when you know. Yes. If you renew your vows, just yeah. be like, baby, when you Miles Davis to my ass. <laughs> That's when I knew I married the right woman. I don't even... We got to close on that. You can't top that. I had something, but I'm not saying it after that. Masterpiece. Jad, thank you so much. What an honor. Yes, keep keep it crispy. crispy. Uh, Would you mind, Greg, saying keep it crispy? Keep it crispy. Thank you. You guys keep it crispy.